Today is Epiphany. The church um, leaves Christmas time um, with the appearance of the wise men, the star shining in the east, the light of the nations, drawing in those very nations. The word Epiphany. There is this dance that's happening with this, like a dance of Jesus first being seen by outsiders, Gentiles, non-Jews, this baby Savior being acknowledged with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, Jesus being revered with worship, and that word, epiphany, a light coming on. Like whenever I think about that, I think about Doc Brown in Back to the Future, right? He's sitting on his toilet, and he has the epiphany of the flex capacitor and 1.21 gigawatts. No one? Epiphany, like this moment of enlightenment. I remember uh, when I had a gospel epiphany, a light shone on my dark heart. I was a campus minister in Lubbock, Texas. I had managed to shrink a ministry from 400 to 50 or so and was living under the weight and shame and burden of that. And uh, I went for a run, and I put on a sermon by Tim Keller um, on Colossians 3, and it was like a light came on. I felt like John Wesley. um, Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon filled with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And I was a Christian. Saved as a Christian by the light of the gospel. It was an epiphany that my life was hidden with Christ and God. So whatever was happening with the ministry that I was leading, like I was secure, held, protected, loved in Jesus. And none of that stuff out there could change it. I was living my life like attendance or some kind of experience that my students were having um, that would make every student say, I want to go to there, that that was life. But that was the hard yoke. And life was the freedom that Jesus offered me through Colossians chapter 3. Now, last week we looked at Psalm 126 where the psalmist is ascending to the temple and he cries out, the Lord has done great things for us and our, our mouths were filled with laughter, our, our tongues were loosed with joy. And I shared with you many of the things that God did amongst us here at City Press in 2022 and I invited you to do the same. As part of this exercise, I asked you to think about three things to celebrate. Individually, as a family, and then three things that you're longing for. Places where you maybe uh, have sown in tears in 2022 and now hoping to reap with shouts of joy. These might be impossible prayers. They, they might be dreams of fortunes being restored to you. But what are you longing for? And today, this sermon is a bit of what I am longing for you in 2023. I am longing that all of you would have an epiphany, an encounter with the Jesus of Matthew chapter 11. The Jesus who is gentle and lowly of heart. The Jesus that gives you 
deep rest, rest for your very souls. So I want to read the scripture. You can stay seated here. I'm going to read this scripture over you to start. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by you, my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus has sent out his disciples by giving them authority. Essentially, Jesus has entrusted them to the work of proclaiming his kingdom. They are to go out and heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. And if this is received by the people they are doing this among, they are to do it for free. No money being given for the the healing of these people going on here. It isn't for profit. It's an act of grace. And if they aren't received... And Jesus instructs them to shake the dust off their feet and go on to the next place and do it again. And then Jesus warns them, you will be persecuted for aligning yourself to me and my kingdom. But don't fear. Those who can kill the body, don't fear losing your life. And this is where John the Baptist comes in. Right, His disciples, we talked about this uh, during Advent, but his disciples show up and ask, Jesus, uh, John is rotting in prison. Are you the one or should we expect another? Losing life and finding it, Jesus says. Now I want to stop there because he will launch into this place talking about judgment for those who reject his kingdom. And all of this is setting up how Jesus intends to save and deliver. Who? Well, his disciples that he's sending out, including John the Baptist, who is awaiting his execution, and the towns and villages that at present are rejecting Jesus, that he intends to offer salvation to his disciples, to John, to all the crowds of people who need healing, to the towns and villages that are rejecting him, he has come to save and deliver. So he warns of judgment for the sake of that salvation. He has come to save. And this is the first move of our epiphany here today. Jesus intends to save. He intends to save you, City Press, here at the beginning of 2023. He intends for you to have an encounter with him and his good news so that that might be the the fulcrum point of your life, both for today and this year and the years to come. And we all need that salvation. Whether you've believed it yesterday and the day before that or many moons ago, you still need that same salvation 
to today. And who does he reveal it to? Well, our text says he reveals it to the lowly. And what does he reveal? Well, he, it, he reveals the exclusivity of the Son, Jesus. The, the hidden thing, Jesus means to save, has been revealed not to the wise, but to the child. The, the, the lowly and the needy is what Jesus is saying. We can give illustration upon illustration, by the way, but a child uh, is of the disposition that when help is needed, they cry out for that help. And the message of Jesus' salvation comes to those who want to know they need such help. The help that only the Son, Jesus, sent from the Father, can give to them. This epiphany is given from the Father to the Son, and from the Father and the Son to Jesus' disciples and the crowds that they are sent among to heal and deliver. Now, these are the same crowds who also, by the way, will persecute and reject them, but they are still to go to those people. And Jesus doesn't let up here. The, The throttle is full open amidst their fears of such rejection and the shame of that rejection, because if we're honest... Like the disciples, this is us. I mean, Jesus sends each of you, us, out into Albuquerque like disciples, and we don't want to be rejected. We don't want to be called names like whatever the gambit of names we could be called out for in the world. The the shame of sharing precious things like encountering God in Christ in some way, like our life being turned upside down by such an epiphany, and then the look, the mocking scorn of sharing such news with someone else. Like this is the backdrop of life in this world and the world that Jesus intends to save. It is that context from which he offers you this invitation. To the very disciples, to the crowds that accept him, to the ones who reject him, to the ones who are holding John up in a prison cell, he offers and invites all of us into this, an invitation to salvation. Now, it's late, we've had lots of things happen, but we do have five points because there's like five things in this, this verse, these verses. I'll try to not freak you out by those five points. Point one is what? Come to me. Jesus' invitation. Come here, he says, to me. Come here to me and receive what God has revealed, which is me. In Jesus, God gives us the face of God, and in this face we feel invited to God. And who is invited? This is point two. All who labor and are heavy laden. The the qualification for the coming to Jesus is those who are having a hard time. Those for whom life is hard work. Those who feel overwhelmed. If the previous section seemed to narrow God's loving embrace, this section flings those doors wide open. Come to me here, all of you who are fatigued and overwhelmed. My my kingdom is a hospital for the tired and the weary. My lap 
is for all who are overrun with doubts and sadness and hardship and pain. Now, I want you to sit here for a second. Because this City Press, coming off the last three years, and maybe even the three years before that, and then considering the water that we swim in, Water that we don't even know is anything else but water, by the way. I want you to know this morning that Jesus is addressing you. And he's offering you an epiphany of sorts to his gentle and lowly heart. Because if we're honest, we're not doing well. Like most of us live with incredible fatigue. Being worn out isn't the exception, it's the rule. In fact, if we we don't feel worn out, chances are we feel a little guilty or confused by it. Like, have you ever found yourself feeling a little happy or well-rested, and then the doubt starts to creep in? (laughs) This ain't going to last, bro. Something bad is going to happen. Or maybe something more concrete. Shouldn't I be doing something? That's our water, according to Alan Noble. Rest and leisure become this mechanism of technique. What I mean is is that all our advances, technological, technological advances, all of our scientific advances, have freed us up for what? More work. More work that you can be doing all the time. Like even when you're on vacation or relaxing, the spirit of our action is efficiency. Vacation is a project, something to conquer on time, under budget. If we veg out, we must do so by reading a certain uh, certain amount, beating the next level. So we can move on to the next game or catching up on the latest show, movie, album that our friends insist we must binge. And the pace of that never slows down. There's always a new song, a new show, a new movie, a new game, a new vacation. And then we get bored. Our rest, Noble says, is rarely restful. It is it isn't an active rest. It, it, it's, it's a rest without silence and stillness, a, a rest marked by overwhelming responsibility to make better use of our rest. And this is before we even start to think about responsibility. All the tasks that you need to be completed, all the promises that you've made, do you have any unfulfilled promises out there right now, City Press, to your spouse? To a friend, to your kids, to your boss, to your patients. What about all the best practices for your health? What about all those demands? Do you ever feel so overwhelmed that you make a list, stare at the list, then you feel ashamed about your inaction towards the list, so you make a new list only to stare at that one too? Where do I even begin? And then your child cries out, And there's nothing you can do but leave the list and get up because you're so tired that they're crying out for you again. We are burned out. Now take the way people say the following. I just need to. I just need to finish my taxes. 
I just need to cut down on my carbs. I just need to read the Bible more. I just need to be less distracted while I study. Without realizing it, this phrase creeps into our everyday words and it gets deeper embedded into our brains. And Noble says, I say it to myself throughout a day like a prayer to ward off the evil spirits of perpetual inadequacy. Usually the I just need to happens when I'm reminded of some obligation like at church or at work or at home that I've been putting off in order to deal with other obligations. Maybe I get an email asking whether I intend to select a health insurance plan this year. Or, uh, and when, when I get that email, I remember, oh yeah, my car uh, needs to be worked on. And then I get a, another, uh, while I'm on the phone, I get someone kind of buzzes in on me for something else that they need from me. And all the while, I'm being overcharged by my internet access. And all as I can say, I just need to get this bill sorted out. And then I can get on to deal with my health insurance. And then I can deal with, with, with needing to exercise tomorrow. There's always one more I just need to. Now, I want you to take an inventory. How many I just need tos did you have this week? And take a second. I, I, I just need to get Jed through this month of school and then this semester so he can graduate. I, I just need to clean my garage up. I just need to get through this week with all the meals and parties and meetups, and then I can get started on my goal of getting into better shape. I just need to get through January because in February, we're going to Mexico, and I need to get that done. I just need to use the prayer calendar so I can pray for peeps at the church, and then I need to get Lori a new update for the church directory, and then I need to just stop raising my voice when my kids misbehave. I need to try to just limit myself to two drinks a night. I need to take just a second before I get home or pick up the kids to breathe. I just need to. The logic of this, according to Noble, is the same logic of an addict. After this hit, I'll quit. Both I just need to and after this I quit have the insincere goal to justify continuing a destructive way of being. They feast on our shame. For the addict swears, after this I'll quit. Recovery is just a pretense to the excuse of the addiction. For the heavy laden amongst us, success-driven people, the I just need to is a life of order and balance and peace with the pretense. Excuse me for striving, but striving without rest is self-destructive. Friends, are you needy? Are you tired? Are you limping along, falling down? The grind of life is grinding on you. And you're battered in all of this by shame. The good news this morning is that this is what qualifies you to come to Jesus. This is what qualifies you for what? Point three, I'm going to lead into what it qualifies you for, but Jesus says his offer to you is rest. But before that, he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. This is the animating center of who Jesus is. The thing that makes Jesus go, he's gentle, which means he's not harsh. He's not reactionary to all those things that you are just meaning to do. He is not exasperated 
by that in you. His posture is open arms, reception, understanding, for his heart is gentle and is lowly. He's humble. He's acceptable for all the resplendent glory and holiness and uniqueness. Jesus is approachable, willing. This gentle and lowliness is the engine of Jesus' life and ministry. It is the engine, by the way, that causes him to call his disciples, to teach them, to travel with them, and live with them, to heal and forgive them. It is the engine that takes him to a cross. It's the animating center of Jesus' life, the one that caused him to leave heavenly fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. It will take him on the brink of severing that fellowship, tasting death, and the curse of sin for us. It's his gentle and lowly heart. And that heart bears with you. you. You don't need to unburden yourself, for Jesus will unburden you. You don't need to get your stuff together to collect yourself. Your burden is what qualifies you to come because he delights in being gentle and lowly towards you. Whether you're actively working hard to crowbar your life into something smooth, easy, that is our labor, friends. Or if you're passively weighed down by something outside of your control, that is always life, friends. Jesus' animating desire towards you is that you would come to him who is gentle and lowly so that point four, you would find rest. And this rest isn't just for your bodies, it's for your soul. It's a gift, it's not a transaction. It's rest of body and rest of soul. And we aren't good with rest, friends. I want you to find rest. And I want you to think about rest maybe in leisure a bit interchangeably here because we modern people are good at vacationing, even amusing ourselves, but we're not good with rest. We, we do think of it transactionally. Like work hard, play hard. I will earn my vacation, and then when I get there, I will be winning at vacation. Hashtag winning. We do have this tendency to turn our rest into yet another task to master, another opportunity to compete for maximizing efficiency. In designing creation, God took our human frailty. The Sabbath was made for who? For humans. Because God takes our frailty into an account and blesses us with a number of gifts that might help us to then live into that life in a tolerable way. Jesus' offer here is body and soul rest. His offer is a leisurely life based upon what? His gentle and lowly heart. His saving of people who are heavy laden and overburdened. The call then is to enter that rest. To trust his gentle and lowly heart. City Press, the rest we seek is only possible if we accept that we are not our own, but belong body and soul to Jesus. 
And that rest means choosing not to use our power or our means at our disposal, but instead resting in the gentle and lowly heart of God as revealed to us by Jesus. We can rest as we submit our quest for efficiency, our pursuit for whatever we try to make us comfortable in the midst of all the trials and travails of life and practice delighting gratefully in God's creation and his gifts without regard for what's most efficient or cheapest or simplest. We talked about that last week, this this need for us to step back and celebrate those good things that God has given to us so that we might lean in to the longing that we have for us to find rest. Rest is this holy stillness that accepts God as sovereign, rest in his goodness and grace. It accepts that you can't save yourself, that you need Jesus to actually be the one that saves. And here's where maybe we move to how rest leads the way for us. Because this city press is my hope for you this year. It's rest, but it's rest in action. Like when you act, when you give, when you serve, when you help, when you're there, when you're present, that all of that action is done in a posture of rest. I know you're languishing. I know you can doubt the gentle and lowly care of your father. I know you feel heavy laden and burdened. I want you to hear that Jesus is inviting you into a a holy stillness that can lead you to action, but that action is still a place of holy stillness. Here's the paradox. In holy stillness, we acknowledge God's presence and provision In holy action, we acknowledge our moral obligation to God and our neighbor, but because it is action in stillness, we don't entertain the lie that our actions can ever produce self-sufficiency. Our stillness is resting in God's grace. Our action is an extension of that grace and nothing more. Because we are not our own, we can be still. Because we belong to God, We can act in humility like our gentle and lowly Savior. When we rest in God's sovereignty and care, he is inviting us into his rest. So we can honestly observe how our world negatively affects us without making excuses for our sin or denying our personal responsibility. When we rest in God's sovereignty, we can act to do good without deluding ourselves into thinking that we must save the world. When we rest in God's sovereignty, we can have grace for ourselves and our neighbors as we cope with our inhumane world that will only be saved by God. So true salvation or cultural renewal comes not through our actions, but through our rest in this God and a quiet trust before him. This is what we're doing here at City Press in 2023. That Christians rest in God, but that doesn't make them inert. They still obey. They still do justice. They still act, but they act in stillness, knowing it is God who sustains them and redeems them. We don't have to hold up the world. 
We don't have to hold up ourselves. We rest in God. Biblical rest is possible because we do not need to act to save the world or justify ourselves. And that was really the epiphany I had that day in Lubbock, Texas. I was existing. Everything in my life existed to justify my call into ministry. I had had some clunkers in my early ministry life. And I was struggling under the weight of that shame. And when Jesus revealed himself to me as a gentle and lowly Savior who seats me with him in the heavenlies, not by anything that I have done, that I could stop having to justify myself. Because a loving God created and preserved me and our world, and he promised to do good to me. And all that I love him. So we can rest without anxiety or fear of falling behind or missing out. Because it's given to us as a gift. And so Jesus says, you can have rest. Not just of body, but of soul. Because as you trust in Jesus for the, as the one who justifies you, your soul can be at rest. So he says here, take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A yoke is a heavy crossbar, right? It's used in farming to get oxen to deliver the goods, to work, to pull, to plow. They muzzle the oxen and yoke them together to get things done. A yoke is a work instrument. The yoke isn't a mattress. The yoke isn't a vacation. Now hear this. Friends, he is giving you this morning a fresh way to carry life. A fresh way to bear responsibility. Jesus is offering you here the equipment by which you are to live. And it is a yoke of what? Kindness. A burden that is light. We are buoyed along, hoisted, carried in this life by what? God's endless kindness, his mercy. He doesn't simply meet us in our place of need. He lives in our place of need. He never tires of sweeping us up into his tender, kind embrace so we might rest. He does not cringe at reaching out to take us in. He cannot hold back, in fact. He doesn't recoil in his knowledge of us. He receives gently, kindly, humbly. This is our Jesus. And his yoke is easy. When Jesus encounters us in our state of heavy burdens and hard yokes, he's moved with compassion towards us. Take this yoke. Take my yoke. And learn from me. Take my word about me and about you and about how I receive you. No other coping mechanism will quite measure up. No, No next vacation. No I just need tos. No shame loops where you 
talk a lot of hard words to yourself to motivate yourself to get something done, to make that change. No techniques will somehow get you more organized, help you live your best life ever. Instead, what I'm offering you is a gentle and lowly yoke where where I meet you in your searchings and your failings with my mercy. In fact, I love to save you when you're right here. So exchange your hard yoke for mine. Because I've walked that yoke for you. To save you. And to give you rest. Friends, become the yoke mate of Jesus. Where he carries the load. And where we receive rest. Augustine says love makes all things easy. What he means is, is that love from the Lord equips you to take the new yoke of life that he offers you, and it's easy, and it's light. He has love in his breast for us and spurs on his side for us. So make me captive, uh, Lord, is what Augustine says, and then I shall be free. It seems so hard at first, but then you experience the gentle Lowly Jesus, all his aid, all his comfort, all his gifts. And even suffering gets, the light gets refracted through Jesus. Where suffering becomes a light and momentary affliction according to the word. And this yoke is worn in tandem, tandem with Jesus and weirdly his people. And so my hope for you, for 2023 is that you would receive the epiphany of Jesus' offer of rest. And may all your action here at this church, in your jobs, at your homes, in your neighborhoods, all those just have-tos would be reframed under the gentle yoke. Take that yoke this morning, the gentle yoke of our Savior Jesus, and find rest for your soul. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would uh, help us. Uh, There's so much that could be said. And in truth, there's so much that we need to lay down, to be honest. There's so much that we need to repent of today. All the ways that we have sought to carry our own burdens and relieve the heavy, laden yoke on our back. All the ways that we've run, not to you, but away from you to find rest for our souls. That's true for me. It's true for us. So we confess that to begin with this morning, Lord, that we have in fact preferred the heavy yoke of shame We've preferred the heavy yoke of our own labors to justify our existence. We've preferred that. We confess that we've been left like bereft in the vacuum of our world that lives and believes that and our own hearts. And so we ask this morning that you would come to us and offer once again to us your yoke, your way of being in the world. 
way of gentleness and lowliness. Now we will receive it from you today. When we go home and there's lunch to be made and had and naps to be done and people to visit, this week when we go about returning to work with a task list and emails that have like built up in our boxes, when we have another kid that's sick and has to miss school again, and you're like, man, I got another sick kid who keeps getting sick at school, and yet I have to take him to school to find rest. Lord, when all that happens for us, help us. Help us to exchange the burdens. Help us to see that that's what qualifies us for your gentle, lowly love for us. And that we would come to you and that we would get into your lap, receive from you the rest that you offer us. Be with us this morning, we pray. Be with us this week. Be with us this year. May we know the rest of Jesus. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.